You're listening to a podcast from Every Nation Canada. In this message, Pastor Joe Suda challenges the stereotypes of what it means to worship and reminds us what worship is really all about. Hello, everyone. Good morning. How are you doing today? Great. If it's your first time here, welcome to church. Uh, my name is Joe. I'm one of your leaders here. And why don't you just say hi and wave to the person beside you. I'm glad you're here today. We are finishing our Jesus Encounter series today, and we are going through the second half of the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. We read this in chapter 4 of the book of John. Last week, we talked about the jar that the woman left after she had an encounter with Jesus. Her encounter with Jesus was so transformative that she actually forgot the very reason she went to the well in the first place. Her encounter with Jesus was so transformative that even her shameful past didn't matter anymore. Remember, she had to avoid Samarians because they talk about her because of her past. And she came back to the town. If you read the, the book of John chapter 4, she went back to the town, Sychar, and actually told the people, the men, about her encounter with Jesus. The very same people that she avoided in the first place, she forgot all about that because she had this encounter with Jesus. And we talked about last week how the insignificance of her life was overshadowed by the significance of the moment that she encountered Jesus. You know, that encounter with Jesus didn't change just her life. It changed the life of the people she witnessed to. It changed the life of the people who actually met Jesus and believed in Jesus. And speaking for myself, a true encounter with God marks you and transforms you and makes you hungry for more of God. That's what an encounter with God does to us. You know, when the Samaritan woman realized that Jesus knew about her past, she became a bit uncomfortable. So she decided to shift the conversation to something else, which we are going to talk about today. Honestly, I'm glad that you're here right now and not someplace else. And if we ask people, if I ask you, what motivates you to do something? You would have different answers. They may not necessarily be wrong, but a lot of us will be missing the very reason, the very purpose of why we're doing what we're doing. Why did you come here today? Ask yourself. And why do most of you find time to wake up every Saturday morning and try to be here on time? Why? What motivates you? Why do you do what you do? Billy Graham said, the purpose of this Christian society called the church is first to glorify God by our worship. We do not go to church just to hear a sermon. We go to church to worship God. What this is saying is that our posture when we come to church should not just be receiving, but more of giving, giving our worship to God. But the enemy doesn't want us to worship. The enemy hates it when we worship God. So he distracts us. And he doesn't have to bring bad people to church to do that. You know, well-meaning Christians like you and me, we're just fine. And if you can only wear special goggles where we can see the spiritual realm, we can see the devil 
going to church every Saturday, holding a latte on one hand and whispering, lying, and deceiving the unsuspecting us. How does he do this? Some of you might say, ah, oh, there goes that girl again. He's going to do another testimony, amazing testimony, which is going to be boring. Or why do you have to sing that line over and over again? You know, we sang that song last week already. Why are we going to sing it again? When is this refrain or verse going to end? I don't like the way she sings. The other one sings better. I'm not going to sing the song because it doesn't fit my voice. And I think standing here and just saying to myself is, is enough. These are all lies of the enemy. And the enemy would want you to focus on the preacher. Maybe the preacher has long hair, he needs a haircut, or he's too thin, or he's too fat, or he stutters, or he stammers. The enemy wants to distract you and focus on the one preaching, sharing the message, rather than focusing on the message itself. Also, the enemy would distract you with noises around. What's wrong with the microphone today? There's so much feedback. The volume is too high. And, you know, there goes the keynote presentation again. And most of you would look at their watches and think about, what am I going to have for lunch today? I think Lola and Lola is cooking good chicken today. You know, why is the sermon taking longer than usual? Oh no, another song. When is this going to end? I thought the preaching's over. He distracts us with things that we see around. Oh, that looks like a very nice shoes. Oh, that bag looks expensive. All right, maybe that, that hairstyle would fit me. See? And, oh, I don't want to talk to this person. I, 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 I just don't like him, so I'm going to avoid him. Then you avoid him like the plague. You see, the moment you start being annoyed by something or someone or bored in the church service, and mind you, there are people who sleep in church, and it's kind of distracting if you're sitting in front of, of, of everyone else. But then again, if you start being annoyed, grumbling, complaining, entertaining negative thoughts, we're all guilty of this, right? then you must have allowed the devil to come to church with you. That must be a strong statement, but it's true. How can you ever have a meaningful worship if we are being too critical about the little things that goes around and comes around us? There's so much negativity, so much judgmental bitterness that can transpire in one hour of church service. Pastors are not perfect. The worship team is not perfect. The leaders who serve you, they're not perfect. Even the person sitting beside you, he or she is not perfect. But remember, you come to the church service to worship, not to observe and comment and, you know, think of all of these things that distract you from your real purpose of why you're here. And I just want to urge you, strip yourselves of all your perceived entitlements. You are here not to be served. You are here to serve. And don't blame others for the reason why you cannot worship. Don't blame them. Let's take raising hands, for example. If you saw one person raising his hand in front today, you must have asked yourself, should I raise my hand or should, shouldn't I? I want to, but I feel awkward and I might look funny, right? 
And it's funny, but, but people raise their hands when they worship. Now the question is, I want to ask you, do we really have to raise our hands when we pray and we worship our King? Do we really have to? Some of you would say, I think I have to. And some of you would say, I have, don't feel comfortable. And most of us would say, I don't think I really have to. Now let's read at what the Scripture says about this attitude towards worship. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, it says, I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. In Psalm 119, verse 48, it says, I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 41, Let us lift our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. Psalms chapter 63, verse 4 says, So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. The Bible doesn't say why lifting our hands blesses God. But I reckon, and I believe it's for the same reason, when a young child reaches out for us, there's this overflowing joy and gladness in our hearts. When we raise our hands to God, it's like us saying, Lord, I need you, I appreciate you, and I love you. It's a posture where we declare that we are smaller and He is bigger, but He loves us just the same. Just lifting your hands alone doesn't glorify God. You do that passionately when you're cheering for your favorite team. And some of us even do it more obsessively, passionately, when you're reaching out for your favorite artist, doing a concert which you have saved for quite some time. See? But if your heart is overflowing with gladness, with gratitude, and with that deep need for God to move in your life, then your worship becomes an extension. Your worship becomes an overflow of what's in your heart. Remember, the Samaritan woman asked Jesus, where should we really worship? Our forefathers worship on this mountain, but you say we should worship in Jerusalem. Not only did Jesus disregard the century-long debate about where to worship, he also revealed the truth about real worship. She was concerned with the religious activities related to worship. But remember this, God is not pleased by works that outwardly appear righteous unless they result from a heart that is inwardly submitted to Him. God is not pleased when you sing your heart out and raise your hands and say, Lord, Lord, if that doesn't come from an outflowing of your heart that is entirely submitted, committed, and dedicated to the Lord. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will worship the Father. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. See, worship is not an event that you attend or you watch. It is a lifestyle that you live. 
and you live that lifestyle so that it will be easier for others to believe the God that you serve before we can even lead others to worship. We have to live it. Before you lead, you have to live it. You know, God isn't moved by the quality of your voice when you sing. He's not moved by how high you raise your hand when you pray and worship. Neither is He moved by the eloquence of your tongue when you pray. God is moved, remember, by the condition of your heart. God is moved by the condition of your heart when we come to Him in worship and complete surrender. God is spirit, and we should worship Him in spirit. Worship is not bound by time or place. You can worship God anywhere, anytime, regardless of your circumstances. It's not a once a week or twice a week gathering of believers. Worship actually goes beyond the four corners of this room and extends to the outside world where you breathe and live in. That is where worship happens. And I want you to remember your life and how you live it. That is your worship. The only testimony that people will hear from you are not the words that you say, but the life that you live in front of them. If your heart breaks for what breaks God's heart, then your life will be more about the needs of others more than your own needs. It will be less of you and more of Jesus. How you work, wherever that is, that is your worship. How you treat your spouse, how you treat your wife or your husband, your children, your family, that is your worship. How you treat your parents, how you recognize them and honor them and respect them, that is your worship. How you treat your mother-in-law, regardless of how difficult she may be sometimes, that is your worship. You can't make people good. You can't make people be nice. But your example of love, the joy that they see in you, the peace that they feel whenever you're around, the patience that you show them, the kindness that you show them, the goodness in your heart, your faithfulness, your self-control, your, your gentleness. These are the things that will make them think, I want to know the God that this person serves. There's so much peace in this person. Everyone's in chaos already, but this, this guy is just so peaceful. What's with this person? I want to know the God that he serves. To worship God in truth means to worship God for who he is and what he has done for us, recognizing that, and secondly, recognizing who we are and what we are without him. That is how we worship God in truth. The truth of who God is is revealed in Jesus. Jesus is the only way, Jesus is the only truth, and Jesus is the only life. I'm telling you this, if Jesus is real to you, sing that song because you believe. If Jesus is real to you, raise your hand because you believe. If Jesus is real to you, love the unlovable, even if it's difficult, because you believe. If Jesus is real to you, live your life for Him because you believe. I want you to know this. Worship is a response to the things that we value the most. Remember this. Your worship is a response to the things that you value the most. And then worship becomes the driving force behind everything that you do. 
Whatever you're doing right now, whatever catches your fancy, whatever your interest is, whatever you're focused on to, that is being driven by what you worship. The way you live your life reflects who or what you worship. And I say, what? Because if you do not worship Jesus, you will be worshiping something or someone else. We all worship, whether you like it or not, whether you admit it or not, we all worship. The only difference is in who or what we worship. I came across this pillow that has the words written on it, what you desire is what you worship. Come to think of it, we worship what we think we need. Whether it's God, whether it's your career, it's money, whether it's people, we worship what we think we need. We are guilty of spending a whole lot of our time trying to desire to get to acquire the things that are created rather than desiring the Creator Himself. Remember this, if you are making anything in your life a priority more than your relationship with God, then you are not worshiping God. You are worshiping whatever it is that distracts you from that relationship. And we are all guilty of that. If it is God whom you desire, then it is God you will worship in spirit and in the truth of who He is. But if it's not God you desire, then you have created an idol that has replaced Him in your heart. Those idols are not necessarily bad. It could be work. It could be family, your children, your career, your school, your diploma. But the moment they take you away, the moment they distract you from your relationship with God, then that thing or that person becomes an idol. Remember, the heart of the worship is an overflow of the heart. Every waking moment, we are faced with a challenge, whether to worship God or to worry about the things that we need to do. When you wake up in the morning, I need to see what's up with my friend, Facebook first, before the book, right? We are distracted with so many things. Even before you can pray, you are bombarded with the things that you have to do for the rest of the day. I'll try to do that later on my way to work. Maybe I can pray or maybe during my lunch break. I'll pray later. I'll have to go to work first. God will not force you or force Him into your life. Remember that. But the choice you make every day will reveal who you worship and who you believe. And I just want to encourage you today. There are many things that distract us from the relationship that we have with God. Every waking moment, you have to make a decision either to worship Him or to follow the heart or the desires of your heart. It's your choice. And that choice will have an eternal consequence. Let's pray. Jesus said, the time has come and now is when you will worship the Father.
in spirit and in truth. And as we sang that song from our hearts, we felt different. It was different from just singing because we had to sing and read lyrics on the screen. We were singing our heart out to God. And there's this connection that brings us closer to Him when we worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, we come to you today. We ask for your forgiveness for the many times that we have exchanged worshiping you with the things of the world. Help us to seek your kingdom first and trust that everything else will be given to us. Lord, we worship you. We honor you. Help us to live a life worthy of being called your sons and daughters, that our life may be a reflection of who you are in our lives, a reflection of your faithfulness, your love, your grace, and your mercy that abounds, that never ends, that is always fresh every day. People look at our lives and how we live it. May that be our worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, church. We'll see you again next week. Praise God. Enjoy your weekend with your family. And God bless you all. You just heard a message from Every Nation Canberra. For more messages like these or to access other resources, please visit our website at iancanberra.org. Like our page on Facebook at facebook.com slash everynationcanberra.